Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. Today we are in week four of our sermon series called The Walk. And remember, what we're doing in this series is getting into the five essential practices of the Christian faith to to learn what it is that you and I need to be doing to walk with Jesus on a daily basis. So in week one, as you guys know, we got into the practice of worship. and, And what worship is, when stripped down to its essence, is living into a relationship with our God. In week two, we got into the practice of study. And what study is, when you strip it down to its essence, is is basically learning to to listen for the voice of God speaking. And then last week, we we got into essential practice number three, which is service. And what service is all about is sharing our love with the world. Loving your neighbor as yourself is another way to say that. And the way we go about doing that is finding people in need and doing what we can to help, right? We can't save everybody but we can do what we can do in our little part of the world, which is what God calls us to do. Which then finally gets us to everybody's favorite essential practice, which is giving. That's right, essential practice number four is to give. So everybody begin to cheer, because I know you're all excited about this. (laughs) Woo! Uh But before you get up and walk out, right? Or before you turn me out for the next 15 minutes, Let me remind you, if you don't like it when we talk about giving around here, you're also not going to like a lot of what Jesus has to say. Because when you do an overview of the Gospels, what you're going to find is that Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about worship, prayer, and study combined. But but contrary to popular belief, Jesus didn't come to make us feel guilty about giving or in a sense to threaten us that if we don't give, then, then horrible things are going to happen to us. No, the reason why Jesus taught so much about money and possessions is because the truth is living a life of generosity not only makes the world a better place, right? Furthering God's kingdom, but it also makes for a better, more meaningful life for all of us. Or what I want you guys to always remember about the teachings of Jesus that make you uncomfortable, and this is just one place. Jesus is all about making us uncomfortable. Is that like, loving, like a loving parent does everything in their power to help their, their children, no matter what, live into the best possible lives, even if that means telling them things they don't want to hear, Jesus is doing the same thing for us. Anytime you read anything that Jesus has to say, it's about helping us to live into the best possible lives. So to give you guys a glimpse into why generosity is so important to Jesus, let me walk you through how generosity really is what's best for you and what's best for the world. So, to put this into perspective, um, the way that I know how to go about talking about how generosity makes the world better, how it helps the kingdom to thrive, is to talk about what I know. And what I know, as you guys are well aware of, is the church and why the church matters. It's bigger than this, but this is what I know. So, to, to make it very, very simple, if people didn't give to the church, that means there'd be no church, right? No building. You wouldn't have any staff, no worship leaders, no support staff, all that kind of stuff. There'd be no place for you to come to worship, to learn, to grow, to grow closer to God. 
And to get why this matters, just take a moment to think about what church means to you. Or how church has played a huge part in shaping and molding you into the person that you are today. Or to make this fun, think about the kind of dirtbag you would be if it wasn't for the church. (laughs) Or who would you be if you weren't constantly being reminded to love and care for others? Who who would you be if you didn't take a moment to reflect on the sin that we talk about around here and how you got to face it and be transformed? Who would you be if you didn't have someone to walk with you through this life to help keep you in line? Well, I don't know about all of you guys, but I'm pretty sure I'd be in prison at this point if it wasn't for the church. And you guys giggle, but I'm telling you, it was a possibility. Then uh, what I want you to do is I want you to think about not having a church family to walk beside you when things get hard. No one checking in. No one praying. No one caring about what's going on in your life, you know, besides your immediate family. Or to make this a bit more visceral, think about how you felt when you were no longer able to come to church when the pandemic hit. How it seemed like you were missing something important in your life, something foundational, something that helped you live a better life. And then what it felt like to walk in the doors for the first time, right? Maybe it was three months or a year for you. And how when you came back, how it felt like coming home. Well, what you've got to get is none of that exists if people don't give. Simple, basic. Then to push this idea even further, now what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that there were no churches at all in Great Bend and what that would mean for our community. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of people out there in the world that say, well, what good is the church for the world? What does it do for the world? So let's just imagine if there were no churches in Great Bend. Well, what, first of all, what that would do is it would impact about you know, a couple thousand people, 4,000, 5,000 people on any given Sunday who uh, normally attend church. But the other thing that a lot of people don't think about is what would that do to the other charities in town? Would they even exist? Or would they be nearly as good without the churches? For starters, there'd be a lot less volunteers and money to support for the Barton County Food Bank, which works to provide thousands of families a year, right? There would be no emergency aid to help people struggling to keep their lights on, to pay the rent, to to get through a hard time. There'd be no dream center to help people with their addictions and to provide food on a daily basis because that's where you go get something to eat. And it's also the case that social service providers like St. Francis, the Women's Crisis Center, CASA, among a whole lot of others, they wouldn't be nearly what they are today, even if they would exist without the church. Then think about what would happen to our community if the hungry were not getting food, if the addicts weren't getting help, if battered women didn't have a place to run to, if kids in our community were forgotten. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. It'd be, it'd be horrible, which is something we never think about. And then another thing that most people don't even know, this is something that was brand new to me just a couple of years ago. I'd never thought about this before. I didn't know this information. Not only would charities like those we just talked about suffer or not even exist if it wasn't for the churches, but it's also the case that almost anything in our community that depends on the generosity of others would be affected in drastic ways as well. 
And all because what research shows us about people who give big sums of money to make, to make the community and the world better is that 91% of people who are religious are known to give to good causes in the world. While only 66% of non-religious people give. And to make that practical, think about what our hospitals in the area would look like without people's generosity. Would we even have a junior college? An art gallery? What about Rosewood and the work that they do? What about Sunflower Diversified and all the work that they do? And on and on we could go with examples of things made possible in our community because of the generosity of faithful followers of Jesus. Or, or people who have been taught by, from the church, by the church, why giving is so important. Or think about this. This is the thing people don't think about. Where is the only other place in the world where people are taught why giving matters? Think, name another institution. There's not one. I mean, you could say Dave Ramsey and all that stuff, but Dave Ramsey's just taking that from the church, right? Yeah, we are one of the only entities in the world that talk about why giving is such a big deal. And, and that's the reason why I get excited about talking about this stuff, right? Most ministers don't want to touch this stuff with a 10-foot pole. They're like, oh, he's going to stand up there and he's going to ask for more money so he can have more money. And all that. no. I'm telling you people, I can go find a job tomorrow and make more money and work a whole lot less hours. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. You don't get into this to make a whole lot of money. The reason why I talk about money is because not only does it help this church thrive and all that we're doing here, but it helps every single part of this community as you guys go out and give and make a difference. How amazing is that, right? Oh, it just blows me away. Okay, so, so now that you've caught a glimpse of why giving is important for the world and how that really plays a significant part in causing God's kingdom to come, let's get into why living a life of generosity is actually what's best for us as individuals. And this kind of goes against what we've been taught our entire lives. So Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the verse that I really want you to get. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what I think Jesus is trying to teach us here is how we spend our money, how we use our resources tells us more about where our heart is than almost anything else. Or think about it in this way. Our monthly bank statement is kind of like a selfie. And you guys know what a selfie is, right? It's a picture you take yourself of yourself to put up on social media to look awesome. Yeah, no, you guys don't know what that is? Well, in the same way a selfie captures who we are in a given moment, our monthly bank statement acts as a kind of financial selfie revealing our priorities or where our heart really is. Now, why that's all so important is because, as you all know, we live in a world that tells us over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that if you want to live the good life, then all you need to do is buy what they're selling. I mean, we hear that message at least a thousand times a day, but the problem with that message is it's just not true. In fact, what can happen when you buy into this life, and we've all done it at some point in our life, is that it can actually keep us from living into the extraordinary lives that God created us for. 
Or as Jesus explains in part of the parable of the sower, he says this. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this age and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. And the picture that Jesus is giving us here is what can happen if our heart is set on something other than God. Something other than the kingdom. And that what these kind of priorities lead to is not a life that is thriving, right? Which is what the world proclaims. But a life that is suffocated by worries and stuff and worries about our stuff. Or let me tell you guys a true story which kind of blows me away that, that for me puts all of this into perspective. So um, after someone significant died in a church that one of my friends was serving, uh, my minister friend, and we'll call him Pappy because he's old, and by the way, he listens to this, uh, and so this is going to be a good burn. He, we're going to call him Pappy because he's so old. No, that's not funny. That's hilarious. What do you... So basically, you know what Pappy does, what ministers do when someone dies is you go out and do a visit and you make sure that they're doing okay and all that kind of stuff. Well, what happened on this particular visit, he'd never been to their house before. They lived in a large city, so he didn't actually know where they lived. But what he noticed as he started to drive into this neighborhood is that there were million-dollar houses all around. I mean, just extravagant houses. And you guys know the neighborhoods that I'm talking about, right? Then he finally pulls up at this house. He goes up to the front door. And the, the, mother, the mother of this household answers the door. And usually she's this warm and friendly, just wonderful lady. They have this good connection. But for some reason, she was acting kind of weird. She, she was acting strange and kind of embarrassed. And she, he expected to just kind of be let in right away. But she didn't let him in right away. And they kind of stood there on the porch for a while. And then finally, with a bit of hesitation, she, she invited him in. Now, here's the amazing thing about this story. When he walked in this million-dollar home, the only piece of furniture they had was one chair. They had one chair on the bottom floor of that home. And putting two and two together, he figured out that for appearance sake, in their attempt to keep up with the Joneses, to, to be the elite of this community, they bought that huge house but didn't have enough money to buy furniture for the downstairs. Or in a sense, that, that house they thought they owned, which made them look good, right? It ended up owning them. It trapped them into a kind of life they couldn't afford. Or if you'll notice, it was choking their lives. That's what Jesus is getting at. Now, I know that's a crazy example. It's a true example, but I know it's crazy. There's not many people that are doing that. But the truth is there's a whole lot of us that may not be trapped by our houses, but have been trapped by trying to live beyond our means. Or according to Dave Ramsey, the average American debt per U.S. adult, notice this is not family, this is per adult, is $58,604. And 77% of all Americans have some kind of, of debt. So what all of that puts into perspective when it comes to why Jesus teaches so much about money and wealth is basically Jesus is trying to get us to see that no matter how many times you hear it, living the good life, a life that, that God created for you is not going to be found in buying stuff. It's not going to be found there. Now, is it okay to live comfortable lives and to provide for your family and all of that stuff? Yes. That's what God created you to do, and there is nothing wrong with that. Enjoy that. But at the same time, you need to understand 
that if you want the life that is truly life, you've got to move beyond an existence that is controlled by greed and things and trying to keep up with the Joneses. Right? If you want that life that is filled to overflowing with generosity, what you've got to do is seek first the kingdom of God. And then let God provide everything else for you. That's where your heart needs to be. Now, again, it sounds strange because what we're told over and over again is buy this, buy this, buy this. If you have this, then everything's going to be perfect. Life is going to be wonderful, right? How many of you guys have bought a whole lot of stuff and it was amazing at first, but now it just sits in your house staring at you? Or how many of you need to go clean out all that stuff that at one point you thought you had to have, but now it needs to go? Right? We, we've all done that. And then the other amazing part about this is there's this whole new branch of psychology. It's not very old. It's called positive psychology. And what the research is now telling us is that people who really do live lives of generosity or people who spend money not just on themselves and what they want, but on others or for the kingdom of God, they actually do live on average more meaningful and joyful lives. With one scientist even making this statement, which blew me away. According to his research, when you get past a certain point, like you have basic necessities, so beyond that, the only way that money can buy you happiness is if you choose to spend it on others. That's science, people. How many of you, does that sound familiar to you guys? You guys know we follow this Jesus guy. What did he say? He said the exact same thing about 2,000 years ago, right? What did he say? It's better to give than receive. It's better to give than receive. Or another example I'll give you guys. Think about that one thing that you had to have that is sitting in your house now and just staring at you, mocking you because you spent the money on it, right? And think about that one time that you gave to that cause that made a difference. Which one makes you feel better? Which one are you more proud of? Which one wasn't a mistake? So you see what Jesus is doing there? Right? When we talk about money, it's not to make you feel guilty. It's to help you to see that that's the best possible life for you. That's generosity. Okay. So, so now that you guys are wrapping your brain around all of that and how it makes your life better and, and how it helps the world, let me just give you a very, very practical way to begin this process of living generosity. So for me, I, I think the way you get started in this is you pull out your bank statement. Right? I don't know if you do it on the computer or if you do it at home, print it out, set it on there, and just spend some time looking at it. And ask yourself, where are my priorities? What is it that really matters to me? Where is my heart? And you guys need to know this is going to be hard, but you've got to be honest with yourselves. And then once you've done that, once you're sitting with that and seeing where you're at, what you need to do a little bit at a time, don't try to do something massive all at once. It's all about doing little things. You need to begin to shape and mold how you spend your money, how you use your wealth in a way that truly reflects what's most important to you, right? Or, or spend your money in the way you want your heart to be. Because if you do this, if you do this, it's not only going to change your life, it's not only going to make your life better, it's also going to change the world, right? This is how we build the kingdom. This is how... We transform the world in amazing ways. Or what you guys have got to understand, and this is why 
Giving is, is a part of the five essential habits of the Christian faith. This is, why, this is what we're called to do on a daily basis to walk with Jesus. It's for our own good and it's for the sake of the world. Who thought giving could be so fun, right? Most of the time we're so nervous when the pastor starts talking about this. If don't be nervous. This is the good life. If you don't believe me, go try it and see what happens. If it doesn't work for you, you can just call me a fool and go on. But I don't think that's going to happen. Let us pray. Father, again, we come before you this morning, and man, this series is really putting things into perspective for us. We now understand that part of the essential practice is giving, is living a life of generosity. And we now understand that giving is not just something that we're supposed to do or else, or giving is, is something that you know, needs to be a burden and all that kind of stuff. No, Lord, the reason you call us to give, the reason you call us to live lives of generosity is because it really is what's best for us. It's what helps us live into the best possible lives. And, and not only that, but it helps us play a part in causing God's kingdom to come. So Lord, our, our prayer this morning is very, very simple, very basic. We ask that now that we understand what generosity is all about, why it matters, that you'll help us little by little begin to live in this way. That, that in little ways you'll guide and direct us on how we can spend our money, use our resources in a way that reflects what we want our heart to be. Lord, we ask this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.